Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hi, friends, and what's good, y'all? Schwebzy here, flying solo, as you may have seen on Twitter, where Jordan mentioned that he'd be taking a few weeks off. Uh, to hear him tell it, there were some unforeseen circumstances that led to him having to take a couple of weeks off from recording. But what is actually happening is he is secluding himself in a cabin deep in the Wisconsin woods to record his Bon Iver-style magnum opus under his pseudonym, Denim Squatch. Be on the lookout for that on title as they bought exclusive rights to distribute what is sure to be an album full of bangers, judging by the amounts of peyote and mushrooms that he brought with him. As always, if you want in the deep updates like that, or to just reach out and say hi or ask for fantasy advice or whatever, you can find us on social media at our shared account at in the deep PL, at Jordan's account, Bunt Singles. Or my account at Schwebzi, S-H-W-E-B-S-I. You can also send us hate mail or, you know, just friendly mail, but preferably hate mail at inthedeeppl at gmail.com. Please, you know, choose hate mail because your anger gives me life. This episode is going to be a little different than our normal format, as I will only be doing one deep dive and then doing a bunch of shorter honorable mention type uh, analysis. And then I'll go through some trade deadline stuff because we're coming to that time of year and that's about to become very, very important for deep fantasy leagues. So I'm going to talk about some teams that will likely trade away veterans and we're going to look at some players who are primed to take on bigger roles in the coming months. I actually, this past weekend, was doing a Potapalooza panel uh, that is a, a an event thrown by Justin Mason of Fangraphs and TGFBI and a million other fantasy things where he gathers some of the best analysts in the fa- and some of the best players in the fantasy baseball world. He throws a, a, a two or three day event and gets a bunch of different panels going, a bunch of different topics. I, uh, I got on there to talk about fab and, uh, you know, weekly pickups with Kevin Hastings of Pitcher List the, uh, I believe it was the 2020 TGFBI winner. And also Mike Gianola was there and, uh, Justin moderated the panel. It was a really, really fun conversation. You should check that out if you, if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, and there I talked about how this is one of the biggest times of year. This is one of the last big checkpoints left. One of the last big shakeups left of fantasy baseball it's basically the trade deadline and then September call-ups. And, and that's really it as far as big shakeups. So this is the time to sit back, evaluate your teams, see where you're at and see how you need to proceed. Do you need to take big swings or do you need to kind of play it safe or do you need to sell? 
it's a, it's a very important time of year. So, you know, may make sure you're on the ball at this time. So, yeah, so on to the f- first and only deep dive of this episode. I'm going to talk about a pitcher who I used to like and then not like, and now I like again. I'm going to talk about Brady Singer. I'm a little gun shy because I was a big fan of his going into 2021. And to say that he let me down is an understatement. The big question after a decent debut in 2020 was, can he develop a third pitch and can he take a step forward in the strikeout department? Hopefully the third pitch would lead to that second bit. And then he went out and struck out a good number of batters in spring training 2021. And I was all systems go. Well, then what happened? Turns out 2021 Brady Singer had absolutely no ability to or interest in throwing a third pitch because he went sinker slider 95% of the time, which doesn't usually work unless one or both of your two pitches are completely overwhelming. His sinker was fantastic at getting called strikes, but it got hit pretty hard, and Singer didn't really get the kind of ground balls that you'd want out of a sinker-heavy, contact-heavy approach. You can understand why it got hit so hard if you look at its location, because heat maps and location charts show that when he threw the sinker in the zone, most frequently it was right down the middle, which is you know, not ideal for any pitch. I know when I think of a good two-seamer or sinker, I think of one that starts out of the zone and clips the corner for a called strike, or gets in on a hitter's hands and jams them, or like you know gets a rollover. And Singer did do that sometimes, but more frequently he'd throw a meatball. Uh, seeing his pitch locations from 2021, I'm actually surprised to learn that overall, Singer was only slightly above league average at throwing meatballs. I, I honestly would have expected him to be uh, worse at that. Uh, the only thing that was saving that thoroughly mediocre sinker, the only thing that would have saved it over a season would have been an elite slider. And his slider in 2021 wasn't that. It was fine. And honestly, it doesn't really warrant much discussion. It was a slider. It was average. It was the kind of pitch that would be fine if it was rounding out a three or four pitch repertoire. But a pitch like this being thrown 40% of the time generally says that the overall package is pretty overwhelming unless it's an absolutely incredible second pitch being thrown the rest of the time. What he was well above league average in was BABIP, and that's not a good thing. His 350 mark would have led the league by a hefty margin had he thrown enough innings. He also had an abysmal left on base percentage, which when paired with that terrible BABIP, goes a long way towards explaining why a perfectly cromulent pitcher looked like a perfectly bad pitcher. Those two stats make up two-thirds of the pitcherless hotel, or the uh, holy trinity equating luck, trademark Nicholas Prudence Pollock of pitcherless.com, aka at pitcherlist of Twitter. And uh, so that was last year. Pretty, pretty underwhelming overall, I would say. And that led me to be you know, not particularly interested in Brady Singer this year, and it may be late to jump on the bandwagon this year. So has anything changed this year? We know the production has been good. He's he's striking out more batters, he's walking fewer batters, and all of his ERA indicators, Sierra, FIP, XFIP, etc., everything has moved in a positive direction, and his luck is positive, positively regressed. 
uh, it's good stuff all around if you zoom out and look at the overview. And he's been especially good lately with a 3.15 ERA over his last nine starts, including three games of nine or more strikeouts in that time frame and an absolute dismantling of the notably decent baseball team, the New York Yankees. He went seven innings in Yankee Stadium, allowing only two base runners and striking out 10. This was his last start. He's actually coming off of two double-digit strikeout games in a row, totaling 22 strikeouts in his last two starts. There's still some inconsistency involved, as there are a couple of five walk games thrown into that nine-game stretch, but he's been a legitimate 12-team starter for like a solid two months now. So is there anything going on in his repertoire to make me think that this is real? In short, absolutely. I might have been a little bit repetitive earlier about a two-pitch pitcher needing at least one of his two pitches to be elite in order to thrive, and that was foreshadowing. Sick narrative direction. Good job, me. His slider has been so legit this year. Like, really, just pick a metric and it's been better. As a company man, I will direct you over to his pitcherlist.com player page, where you can see pitch-specific visualizations and see the difference year over year in an intuitive manner. I, I did so much flipping back and forth between 2021 and 2022 today to try to like really uh, internalize the difference between his pitches from year to year. Uh, and the pitch is moving pretty much the same way that it did last year, like movement wise. I, I think the three most notable things about his 2022 slider compared to 21 are location, location and location. He's been much better this year about not leaving his slider in the zone in hittable locations, and it's done absolute wonders for his results. Really, if you compare the heat map of his 2021 slider to his 2022, the, the groupings are roughly the same, like the frequency is roughly the same, except everything is moved a little bit more down and away, a little bit more glove side, which is what you want. You want it falling out of the zone or at worst, like right on that corner. So his sinker is interesting because he's getting fewer whiffs on it, but more strikeouts. That sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole because that stat made my brain jump to a conclusion that I then had to verify. And it turns out my gut slash brain, basically the same thing was right. So last year, 25% of Brady Singer's strikeouts were of the caught-looking variety, and this year it's 35%. That is a huge jump. That means his swinging strikeouts are down from 75% to 65%. So this year he's thrown 1,300 pitches, compared to about 2,300 last year, and he's already got as many looking strikeouts on his sinker as he did in the entirety of last year. But what's interesting about that is that his two-strike approach is almost identical to last year. It appears he's just gotten a lot better at catching the outside corner with his backdoor slash front door sinkers. He still catches the middle of the plate way too often, like I mentioned about his 2021 sinker, but this better command in general has been a fantastic development for his strikeout potential. I pulled out a, 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 I pulled up a map of all of his strikeouts and the pitch location for this year, you know, split into sinkers and sliders. And it's it's funny, they almost make a line 
along the glove side edge of the plate because he's getting swinging strikeouts on the slider away and he's getting looking strikeouts on the sinker away uh, on the same side of the plate. And it's, it's working really well. He's a, a lot more consistent with it than he was last year. He's even throwing that change up a little bit more. He's throwing it 9% this year compared to 4% last year. And he's made some progress with his uh, location on this pitch. It's, it's noticeable. And that's kind of encouraging to me for his future outlook, but it's still a below average pitch at this point. He uses it mostly as an early count, get me over surprise offering to steal strikes. And it kind of works because he's just the tick under league average in CSW on that mediocre pitch while getting basically no swings and misses on it and base- and almost never throwing it in the zone. When it does get hit, it gets hit pretty hard. So I don't really see him breaking it out any more often this year. It's still not a very good pitch. It's one of the highest spin rate changeups in baseball. And when you hear high spin rate, you might think that's a good thing. But on like changeups and splitters, that's it's not. It's the opposite. Because uh, a, a high spin rate changeup will not move that much, and it's not like a uh, it's not like a Sandy Alcantara changeup where he throws it hard enough that it doesn't really matter. So uh, yeah, he's still able to use this underwhelming changeup effectively just through good sequencing, through through surprise, and uh, through improved location. I can't believe I'm going down this road again. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to fall for this again, probably. But uh, I, I think I'm a believer. You'll notice that I mentioned improved location when I talked about all three of his pitches, which to me says this isn't a fluky thing. He's been doing it all year long so far. He's just straight up locating everything better, which is one of the best things a pitcher can do. It's not as easily quantifiable. Like you can't just like look at a leaderboard and see that. But it's it's great. Like if you dig in deeper, you'll you'll see it. Plus, he gets bonus points for annihilating the Yankees the other day. Since I'm a hater, and uh, I'm I'm down for adding Singer in almost any league type right now, as he has a great home ballpark. His division has great ballparks, and uh, yeah, it's it's a bunch of mediocre offenses in that division too. Nick Nick uh, called this a Vargas rule, and he is smarter than I am. So maybe after adding him, don't hold on too tightly. Like, you know, be willing to let it go if he does, you know, get lit up against the White Sox or something. But uh, yeah, really, this is some really encouraging stuff. I I love what I'm seeing so far. And now we're going to take a little ad break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right. And we are back. So as I said earlier, I'm going to go through some honorable mentions and then we're going to talk a little bit about some trade deadline stuff. So to start off the honorable mentions, uh, something we like to do or uh, I like to do every now and then is why have you not added this guy yet? Jose Miranda is sitting at 20%. And this is probably the last time I get to talk about him before he's dead to me. But I do need to bring him up one last time as over the last 30 days, the man is hitting 369 with four dingers, 10 runs and 20 RBI, which is pretty much what I said about him a couple of weeks ago when I said to temper the power expectations, but the bat is still going to play. And, you know, obviously he's not going to hit 369 all year long. Nice. But he's it's it's a good bat. It's worth rostering. I've got him in my AL only league as my corner infielder. I got him as the as a throw in to a larger trade when he wasn't hitting as well. And I am stoked. I'm so glad to have him because I think he's uh, unless something wonky happens with the playing time over in Minnesota, I think he's going to be a set it and forget it corner infielder for the rest of the year for me in, in that format. Moving over to Miami. JJ Blade is your high upside pick of the week. If you've got savvy managers in your league, he's probably already gone. But the Mariners have brought up JJ Blade, which I'm sure a lot of people will hear and think, finally, because it feels like we've been waiting for him to debut for a while now. Uh, his minor league numbers this year leave a little bit to be desired, but uh, the kid can absolutely hit some dingers as evidenced by his 20 long balls at AAA this year. He's almost definitely not going to hit for average at this point, and he's more of a three true outcomes guy than I would have expected a couple of years ago. I I thought he was more... I I thought there was a chance he could become a a high average hitter or at least an okay average hitter, but uh, that's apparently not in the cards. But he can hit the ball a long way, and he could end up giving fantasy managers a Patrick Wisdom-esque second half. Uh, I was actually watching him play today. The uh, the Marlins were playing the Mets, and Blade was playing center field, and he stole a an RBI hit away from someone on the Mets who I'm, I'm forgetting who it was. It might have been a uh, Mark Canna. But man, if he can if he can give a uh, Patrick Wisdom, Joey Gallo kind of bat while providing decent defense in center field. That would be such an interesting profile. Not not a lot of guys like that out there. All right. So for those of you who are catcher needy, Carson Kelly has been like bonkers lately. He's been really streaky in the entirety of his career. Like he he kind of has a pattern, right? He he has a really great stretch. He then he gets hurt. And then he's terrible when he comes back from the injury until, you know, he hits a, a high again and then an injury interrupts that high. Well, he has been awesome lately. He's literally the second best catcher on the player Raider over the last 30 days. And I don't know how many people actually realize that. I, you know, 
streaming catchers has been a legitimate strategy. It's a it's a legitimate strategy in a lot of years because catcher is kind of a wonky position, but I would absolutely be looking to add Carson Kelly to ride him while he's hot. Uh, all, you know, during this hot stretch. Actually, I, I wonder if he could get moved. I, I'm I'm actually not sure what his contract situation is now that I think about it. But I digress. Um, Aledmus Diaz. Uh, this is not the first time I've talked about him on here. You you guys probably, if you, if you're a frequent listener, you probably already know what I'm about to say. Uh, he's a solid veteran hitter. He's in a great lineup. He's got a great opportunity. And you know he he you know he hit two home runs today, which doesn't hurt. It, you know that that'll help a player's stock. Uh, in a similar situation, a great a solid veteran hitter, a great lineup, great opportunity. Aaron Hicks, Jordan did a deep dive on him recently, and I am briefly going to put aside my Yankee hatred since I can't just shirk this off to Jordan. Uh, he's still absolutely worth a pickup, Aaron Hicks, even post Benintendi trade. I'm assuming that Gallo is going to be out the door now any day. I, I don't think Hicks is going to be the one hurt by this, especially while Giancarlo Stanton is hurt. By the way, un- unrelated, uh, if the Braves trade like their 25th best prospect for Joey Gallo and he goes on a tear, that will be my superhero, sorry, my super villain origin story. Because I, I think af- after what Soler, Duvall, and Rosario did last year, That'll be my breaking point. That would that would ruin me. That would break me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Jose Iglesias, uh, this is just slapdick, babip dependent guy continues to do slapdick, babip dependent things. He's a solid, boring middle infielder. He does, you know, you, you know what to expect out of him. Same thing for uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa. He's basically Jose Iglesias, but not in Coors Field and a little bit more speed. Uh, the batted ball luck has been on his side lately, and the contact skills are legit. You know, he, uh, you, you, you pretty, you should pretty much know what you're getting out of him, but don't expect more, even, even in the great lineup that the Yankees have. Over in Oakland, my early season faith in Chad Pender and Seth Brown seems to finally be getting rewarded on a more consistent basis, as they've both been like pretty scalding lately. Seth Brown is going to wind up with the quietest 25 to 30 home runs in baseball this year. I I said it at the beginning of the year. He's had some cold streaks, which kind of, you know, has taken him off of radars, but he hit two home runs today. He's, you know, he's back on pace for what I thought he was going to do. He's uh he's kind of streaky, you know, I the, maybe this is the start of something. Maybe, maybe we're already past the hot streak, but I, I think he's worth rostering as like a fifth outfielder in a, you know, like a 15 team league. Cal Raleigh. I feel like I, <laughs> I feel like I talk about him and say the exact same thing every week. Um, he's basically Mike Zanino. He's young Mike Zanino. So if you need a low batting average, high power hitter, you know, get, take the dive. He's a catcher. Someone in your league has a worse catcher than Cal Raleigh. If it's you, you know, they can't hurt you to pick him up. Victor Robles has been pretty hot lately, and I'm not a believer. This is the hardest of passes for me. I just do not think he's very good. His plate discipline is terrible. His contact skills aren't good enough to make up for it, and he has no power when he does make contact. On top of that, he steals bases, but I don't think he steals enough bases to offset those weaknesses. 
I don't think he's a Jorge Mateo where he'll steal so many bases that his poor offense elsewhere like is is made up for. Uh, you know, he's not like a JJ Bladay. Uh, JJ Bladay. He's not like a John Birdie where he steals enough bags to like really truly matter. You know, unless your league is so deep that every stolen base needs to be rostered. If that's the case, then you know, by all means, get those twenty Victor Robles steals and uh, you know deal with his anchor in other categories. Uh, Austin Slater has been really good lately. I feel like we haven't talked about him enough on this podcast. I, and the reason for that is just that he he's so quintessentially a Giants player. Uh, it's really just if you have him, you need to play the matchups. You need to be on top of his playing time and you need to bench him when the Giants do. That's not really a game that I play often. I when I when I add players, I try to make sure that they're not platoon guys because I am too I am in too many leagues and I am too lazy to play that game. But Austin Slater can be a valuable bat for you if you are less lazy than I am and if you're willing to pay attention to those lineups and get him in your lineup the days that he plays. Speaking of platoons, uh, another player that I've been talking about a lot lately, Derek Hall, sadly appears to be a platoon bat now. He has sat in four of the Phillies' last five games versus lefties. That still puts him on the strong side of the platoon, but it makes him more like a, the reverse Darren Ruff kind of bat where he is hard to set and forget because he's just not a full-time player at this point. He literally only has six plate appearances this year versus lefties, so it doesn't even seem like Philly wants to give him a chance to show if he can hit lefties or not in the majors. Um, I'm unfamiliar with his minor league splits, so maybe they're well-informed here and he he will flail against lefties. But yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer that this seemingly promising bat is not even getting a chance to see to show what he can do. It's kind of kind of like a early career Jock Peterson, where they're just like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, no lefties for you. Staying in Philadelphia, Bryson Stott. Um, consider consider this my my Philadelphia Victor Robles. He's had his moments and he's been kind of good lately. But even when he's good, Bryson Stott is sadly not that good. He has certainly had some moments like his one home run, five RBI game earlier this week. But over just about any arbitrary length of time that you can choose, his underlying numbers still stink. I, I, lo- <laughs> I love when I can be a hater and when I can also help you folks at home. Like when I get to say mean things about the Phillies, and saying those mean things also helps you guys. That is my personal nirvana. It makes me so happy to say mean things that help you guys. Uh, and now to be mean towards myself. Uh, look, I, I know that I'm basically never wrong, but and that can lead to the illusion that I never admit when I'm wrong. But I promise that's not me being full of myself. That's just me always being right. I can't help that. I'm sorry. But uh on July 1st, valued pitcherless community member and valued watcher of In the Deep Streams back when those still existed, Adile AOC asked if we were going to talk about Luis Rangifo on that day's episode. And I said, sure, I'll take a look. And then I looked. I looked at Luis Rangifo's stats. And then I did the podcast analysis equivalent of just a big shrug. 
And since that moment, since that day, Renjifo has a 137 WRC plus, a home run, two stolen bases, and he's been hitting in the top four of the Angels order since the 13th. I just want to apologize to Adile AOC for not taking his suggestion more seriously. And I also want to congratulate myself for the staggering amount of modesty that I am displaying right now. Uh, Chaz McCormick, I've definitely talked about Chaz McCormick on this pod before. He, uh, I, I often think of Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers as interchangeable. Uh, they, I don't know if anyone's ever seen them in the same room at the same time before. But right now, uh, as Jake Myers slumps, Chaz McCormick has taken off. I, I guess there can be only one. But uh, McCormick's been really hot lately. He's hit a bunch of dingers. His his OBP has actually been awesome lately. He's just all around been really, really good lately. There's been rumors of Houston trying to shop Jose Siri to either get a legitimate center fielder, you know, quote legitimate, like Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick isn't, aren't doing it for them, uh, or to maybe get a catcher to replace Maldonado. But those are just rumors. And until something happens or until Michael Brantley comes back healthy or whatever, McCormick and Jake Myers are still getting all the playing time they want. And I would be, you know, I, I like McCormick. So I absolutely will be riding him uh, until the wheels fall off. Yeah, phrasing. Uh, moving on to some pitchers. Reed Detmers is like the uh, the pitching version of uh, Jose Miranda in the why haven't you rostered this guy yet category. This is another this is another player that Jordan did a deep dive on recently, you know, at my behest. Reed Detmers looks like a completely different pitcher post minor league stint as his minor league coaches. Uh, there, there was an article on this on The Athletic recently. His minor league coaches noticed and helped him fix a mechanical flaw and helped him rediscover his good slider, which he's used to devastating effect, even in bad matchups lately. Like he, he destroyed the, the Atlanta Braves recently, and that's a relatively strong lineup. Uh, Mitch Keller. I, I wish I could quit. Uh, he, he's like Brady singer, but less good. I, I wish I could quit him. Uh, but he's been tweaking things pretty regularly to mixed results this year, you know, moving from four seamers to sinkers, you know, throwing to different locations, but even, uh, yeah, no, all, all of the tweaking has not led to any sort of sustained production this year. Just kind of a little, little bit of a, a low upside cherry bomb, but, uh, he's, he's got a matchup coming up at home against Philly, which I think I would avoid. I, I also, I wouldn't be surprised if he did well there or, you know, threw up a quality start, but after that Philly date, He's got a game against Baltimore at Baltimore, and I am absolutely going to hurt myself again by starting Mitch Keller at Baltimore because that's a fantastic venue for a pitcher to be in. And uh, Baltimore is still not the strongest of offenses, even you know with their suddenly uh, <laughs> cromulent play. Brad Keller, I am leaving on the waivers. He has Chicago, uh, the, the AL variety of Chicago. And Boston coming up, and I'm just I'm not messing with that. I'm leaving him out there. Spencer Watkins is going to be seeing Texas in Texas, and I'd avoid that. Texas kind of has a low key good offense with Seager, Semyon, Adelis Garcia, uh, Nathaniel Lowe. They're they're really not a bad offense. 
And then after Texas, he, Spencer Watkins has a home game versus Pittsburgh, which I will stream so hard. That is an absolute uh, must start deep league stream for me. Uh, sticking with the streamer category of pitchers, Cutter Crawford of Boston is interesting. The fastball is really interesting, but he's more of a add and hold for me or just leave him out there because he's got a date with Houston coming up that I will be actively avoiding. And I'm not sure who his next start would be against after that. Uh, Justin Steele, kind of same category. I am avoiding him right now, but he is absolutely a, a matchup based streamer for me. I'd say he's better than like, I think Justin Steele is better than Crawford, better than Watkins, better than both Kellers. So if we're looking for like rest of season, Steele would be my pick. But all like all of these guys, if if I don't need someone for the whole year, like are just, you know, churn kind of guys. Like I'm adding them, I'm dropping them as needed. A couple of bullpen guys that have been uh had interesting things happen to them recently. Matt Festa and Andres Munoz of Seattle. You guys know I love Andres Munoz. He's still incredible. He's still in a role that doesn't fit his talents. And I'm not sure why the Mariners insist on letting dudes like Matt Festa get multiple saves while Munoz keeps pitching in the sixth or seventh while striking out the world. Uh, Matt Festa is only interesting because he has a couple of saves recently. Paul Sewald has stumbled a little bit lately, and I would think that that would open up an opportunity for my boy Andres Munoz, but it appears that Paul Sewald's stumble has made the Mariners' bullpen even more of a committee with three different relievers getting save opportunities in the past week. It's been Festa, Seawald, and uh, I believe it was Eric Swanson who got the third save. All right, so that's it for my, my honorable mentions for this week. For a few minutes here, I'm going to talk about some tra- upcoming trade deadline stuff or just some implications of trades that have already happened. So, I mean, starting with my my, my favorite team, the the Mets of New York City. Daniel Vogelbach was acquired by the New York Mets, and I love, love, love this so much. And I'm psyched to see what kind of production they get out of him. The early returns are great. He's been awesome in his limited playing time so far. But this is sadly for me going to turn into a daily league play where you have to monitor the lineups. Like I was talking about earlier with, you know, Darren Ruff, with Derek Hall, with Austin Slater. Vogelbach is about to be a similar kind of player because I'm fairly certain that the Mets acquired him specifically to hit against righties. I do not think they will be leaving him in for lefties if they can at all avoid it. I know part of their part of their trade deadline plan is to acquire another right-handed bat, which will you know further bury Vogelbach in those versus lefty lineups. Uh, so the Royals have traded away Andrew Benintendi, as you know, as a lot of us predicted, as a lot of people predicted. And I believe that this opens up playing time for Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares, which honestly I'm I'm excited about because I, I like both of them. I think they have some fantasy upside. 
So I, I would absolutely keep an eye on which of those two players gets more playing time. I think uh, Olivares is currently on the IL, but when, when he gets healthy, I'm going to keep an eye on which of these two players gets more run because I they have some interesting power speed upside. Uh, the Cubs, the, the Chicago Cubs are a little bit of a mystery. Like we, we, we can feel fairly certain that they're going to trade Wilson Contreras. We feel pretty good about that. The fantasy world feels pretty good about them probably trading away Ian Happ. And, you know, if they do those two things, I think the two biggest beneficiaries will be Nelson Velazquez, who could be another JJ Blade type bat with high power upside, low batting average downside. And the Wilson Contreras possible trade could open up playing time for PJ Higgins, who is actually, you know, he's been pretty impressive so far in limited playing time. I actually have PJ Higgins stashed already in my NL only league to uh, play at catcher once that trade theoretically goes down. Now, what makes the Cubs a bit of a mystery is that David Robertson might be on the move. I know a lot of teams, a lot of fantasy teams have, you know, considered David Robertson a real clutch piece of their bullpen, basically costing nothing on, you know, early in the year and providing some saves for them throughout the year. But that is about to end because if he gets traded, speculation says to maybe the Mets or maybe the Yankees even that, you know, obviously he will not be closing games for either of those teams. So who will? The easy answer is Michael Gibbons, but Michael Gibbons might also get traded. So honestly, I I think the guy that might wind up as the closer here, and I was talking to one of my Cubs fan friends about this earlier is uh, Scott Efros, because I love the idea of a player named Efros closing games for a manager named Ross. That is beautiful to me, and I hope it happens. Also, he's pretty good, you know. Speaking of uh, closers, the Oakland Athletics, I don't know what they're doing right now. They keep on giving save situations to Lou Trevino. And my God, I wish they would stop. He's not good. Please, please, like free one of the other closers. Free AJ Puck. Free, uh, God, who's the other one? Uh, what is it, Zach Johnson? Am I making, am I just completely making up a player out of out of my, my brain? I don't know. But I, I my, I've mentioned earlier in the year that I think AJ Puck is the guy. He's gotten a couple of saves in the last couple of weeks. I'm hoping with my my fingers crossed so that I can do a victory lap later that AJ Puck winds up taking the role and running with it. He he did have a little bit of a blow up recently that I, I, I believe hurt his possible closer stock. Here it is. Zach Jackson is the other guy. So I feel like it's going to be one of those two pitchers that winds up taking this role. I think Zach Jackson walks too many players. Or, or at least that's what I, I'm hoping. Be, so because that would be the justification for Jackson not getting the role and Puck getting it. But I digress. The Pittsburgh Pirates, I don't know what they can do. They might trade away Jose Quintana. They might trade away someone like Ben Gamble. But I think we've already seen all the players, all the position players that they're willing to bring up this year. 
I can't think of any other young pirates that might get time that that might have an impact. Uh, maybe Travis Swaggerty if they trade someone like Ben Gamble, but I also can't imagine any contender wanting Ben Gamble. Maybe you know Houston. Houston will, Houston is going to trade for Ben Gamble and turn him into the productive player that so many people have speculated that he might be able to be over the years. But yeah, uh, Jose Quintana, if he gets traded, that probably opens the door up for like Miguel Jahure and Romanzi Contreras to uh, pitch for the rest of the year. I'm uh, anxiously awaiting the time when Romanzi Contreras reaches the majors again. I'm not sure why they sent him down after a, a strong appearance, but Jose Quintana getting traded would probably uh, let that happen. Uh, all right. I think that's it for me this week. As I said earlier, if you want to reach out, you can find uh, Jordan and I at our shared account at in the deep PL Jordan at his account, bunt singles or my Twitter account at Schwebzi S H W E B S I. You can always send us mail at in the deep PL at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if, if you, if you feel like being a mensch, being, being a nice person to us, go ahead and uh, like and review this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you prefer. And uh, with that, thank you for tolerating me by myself for another week. Have a great day. And uh, yeah, bye friends. Bye.